Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner. Really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. The Exxon Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Bring the wind to carry me over, lead me home to my time. And welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Talkstar Radio Network and the Exxon Broadcast Network. Our toll-free number worldwide is 1-800-610-7035. Email address exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. My guest this hour, Exo Nation, is Malcolm J. Brenner, and he is the author of Wet Goddess, Recollections of a Dolphin Lover. Malcolm J. Brenner, a freelance writer and photographer, was born in New Jersey in the early 1950s. He was raised in a family that believed in Wilhelm's Reich's 
Oregon Energy. After growing up on Philadelphia's main line, Brenner moved to uh, Sarasota, Florida in the late 1960s. He attended New College of Florida, where, he, where the events that inspired much of Wet Goddess took place. He graduated in 1974 with a bachelor's degree in communications. Now, before settling into a decade-long career as a reporter, Brenner worked as a truck driver, short order cook, busboy, construction worker, dishwasher, and filmed an indie feature that never got released. After trying to make a documentary about killing uh, about killer whales, he settled in Seattle, where he found and managed a photo lab from 1960, 1980 to 1986. He admits to having sold cars for a while in Portland before moving to New Mexico in 1992. And you know what, explanation? This sounds like everybody I know in this industry. Among the Navajo and uh, the Zuni Indians, where he worked for most of the 1990s, he was known as the as an accurate, sympathetic, and crusading reporter. His news stories, features, and satirical coyote columns won numerous awards, including the 1996 Best of Show Award from the managing editors of the state's Associated Press Organization. That's a prestigious award. Brenner's writing has appeared in Penthouse, Gnosis, New Realities, Technical Photography, Future Life, and in the anthologies Mind in the Waters and Witchcraft Today, Volume 4, Living Between Two Worlds as well. His photos have appeared in numerous publications, including Time and the Witchcraft Today series from Llewellyn Worldwide. He is a regular contributor to Harbor Style Magazine. Our guest lives in uh, southwest Florida these days with two dogs and a housemate. He is planning further research on dolphins and writing his next novel, The Jordan Chronicles, about a woman's encounter with an extraterrestrial alien and its effect on her life and subsequent marriages. He is also writing about his childhood experiences growing up in a family that believed in Oregon energy. His Wet Goddess website is www.wetgoddess.com. Dot net and that's www.wetgoddess.net. Walter, I'm sorry, Malcolm J. Brenner is going to be joining me on the other side of this commercial break that we're going to be taking in a few moments. But I would just like to remind each and every one of you that if you'd like to listen to the podcast that we have done, not all the years, not 20 years. We're looking at the past over 908 podcast interviews that we've done. All you have to do now is go to one place, www.xzonepodcast.com. All the po- all the latest 908 interviews that I have done are there, and there will be four more added each and every day right after the show. So tomorrow there's going to be over 912 the day after, over 916. That's at www.xzonepodcast.com. I'll be back in two minutes with my guest for this hour, Malcolm J. Brenner. His website is www.wetgoddess.net. Don't go away. We'll be back in two.
Welcome back, everyone. Malcolm J. Brenner is our special guest. His website is www.wetgoddess.net. And Malcolm, welcome to the Exome. Thank you very much for having me on, Rob. It's great having you with us. Um, before we go on, I must tell you that I love dolphins. I think that they are they are truly magnificent. And whenever I've gone to the Bahamas, I've always, always gone in for a swim with the dolphins. There is something energizing about touching those 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 friendly little uh, mammals, and there, there's something very magical and mystical about them. Little? They're like eight feet long. Yeah, but you see, I'm six foot five. So. Yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> you're, but, you're, closer, you're closer to their size than I am, that's for sure. But but you know what I mean? They've got that, that smile. They've got, they're, they're very intelligent and, and all this. They are very intelligent, yeah. but... Uh, where, where do you go? Where do you go swimming with them? Do you go in the in the uh, open ocean, or do you go to a, uh, a swim with dolphins place? Swim with dolphins place. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. They. Uh, I, I don't want to mystify dolphins. Um. You know, they're they're only human after all, and uh, <laughs> uh, they. Uh, you 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 see you see one face of them when you go to that place. Mm-hmm. My book is like a look behind the facade of what a place like that was like back in the 1970s. Wet Goddess is set in a uh, small amusement park near Sarasota, Florida, where they have a dolphin show. Mm. And the main character, Zachary Zimmerman, is a uh, student at New College who gets a gig photographing the dolphins in this show for a book that this writer is going to write uh, about the dolphins. And uh, he gets tangled up in the uh, politics and the personalities of the park, and he also finds that one of the dolphins, a uh, unique uh, female dolphin, uh, seems to have a Jones for him. And the story is your basic Romeo-Juliet tale, except that Juliet, in this case, is a 400-pound marine mammal. And they said it would never work. (laughs) Well, it doesn't work, but not for any of the uh, usual reasons you Mm. might think. Tell me, are you a believer in the uh, paranormal, or, or are you a skeptic? Well, uh, yes and no. Uh, I don't believe in a lot of things about the mm-hmm. paranormal. I practiced Wicca for 20 years in the 1980s and 1990s, and I was certainly um, well indoctrinated into magical thinking. And uh, although I enjoyed practicing Wicca... Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. When I was in it, it, it stopped working for me. Uh, I don't believe in a lot of the paranormal baggage. I don't believe in things like astrology or ghosts or or divinities, for that matter. I'm an atheist. What I do believe in is that sometimes we can communicate on a very profound and and primeval level with other creatures. And I don't think there's any supernatural explanation for that. I think. It might have something to do with quantum physics in mm-hmm. the brain, but I'm I not agree. a quantum physicist. I don't want to go there. I believe that, that I believe that quantum physics is certainly going to demystify a lot of what is called paranormal. 
so far, all I can think of uh, that it's done is actually mystify a lot of things that, that seemed straightforward before. But maybe you're right. Um, at any rate, uh, Zachary comes under the influence of this dolphin, mm-hmm. believes he's having telepathic experiences with her, and the dolphin courts him at first in a very um, rough and kind of primitive fashion, but uh, she she moderates herself over the course of their relationship to the point where she becomes quite seductive to him. And he's uh, he's trying to balance a number of factors in his life, and this relationship just sort of takes over. Well, I can imagine the uh, the talk at the pub the next night. So how was your night? Oh, geez, you know, she was a real dog. Well, mine's, mine was a dolphin. <laughs> like, how do you do it fishy style? I don't know. But, well, well, all right, now what? They're, they're, they're mammals. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is it like? Now, obviously, you're, you're writing the story because you have knowledge of behind the scenes of, of, a, of, a, of this basic fish carniac or this aquarium compared to yeah. the experience that I have had with dolphins. Right. What's the difference? What's the true story behind the scenes? Well, the true story behind the scenes is that, um, first of all, I think the whole fundamental idea of keeping dolphins in captivity is uh, a form of uh, species chauvinism mm-hmm. and uh, it's slavery. Can't we say that uh, about every petting zoo and every zoo on the planet? No, because not every creature recognizes itself in a mirror. Not every creature has language. Not every creature has um, the type of sentience and imagination that the dolphins do. Oh, I thought you were talking about Washington there for a second. Oh. Um, so a dolphin is much more intelligent than a lot of other animals are. Much more aware, and that is not just my opinion. We have the the hard science now to prove it. We, we have studies that show dolphins recognize themselves mm-hmm. in a mirror. We have very detailed anatomical MRI studies of their brains. Right show that it's a first-class thinking machine. We know that they can understand grammar and syntax, which is more than you can say, I think, for a lot of high school graduates in this country. Oh, I agree with you 100%. Okay, that that is so true. That is very yeah. true. So so these are all conclusions I had reached a number of years ago, mm-hmm. just based on my own personal experiences, because I'm not in any sense a, a scientist. Right. And... Uh, uh, I have watched as the scientific community, which rejected these ideas uh, back when I was having these experiences, has gradually come around, and they sort of grudgingly now admit, well, yes, they're they're pretty smart, but they're still not, you know, we still don't know how smart they really are. It's not like they want to say one way or another, because scientists, as you know, are very conservative people, and they yeah. they hate to be caught speaking the wrong opinion at the wrong time, so they will always try to hedge their bets. Well, you know, science and history is still trying to tell us that Christopher Columbus discovered the Americas, even though we know the Vikings were here first. So, Right, yeah, and, and frankly, you know, the Red Men got here before the Vikings. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and, and somebody may have gotten here before them, you know, if we ever find out what the Kennewick Man is, but that's another topic. But my, so my, what else? my, yeah. my point is that they don't want to admit that they're wrong. Ever, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've often said that the difference between being a scientist and being a reporter, like I used to be, is that if you're a scientist and you get something wrong, you know, 200 of your colleagues read about it in a little publication, a little peer-reviewed journal, Mm -hmm. 
And then, you know, somebody says, well, you know, maybe we shouldn't renew his grants next year. And if you're a newspaper reporter and you get something wrong, you know, 35,000 people read about it the next day on the front page and you get canned. That's after they crucify you. Yeah, right. After they got done raking over the coals. (laughs) That's right. But uh, dolphins, where were we? What was the question? I I was asking you the 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 what the behind the scenes, uh, the the truth behind uh, behind the scenes are behind the scenes. Dolphins in these places tend to get neurotic because a dolphin can easily swim twenty or thirty miles a day if it wants to, you know, hunting for food Mm -hmm. or trying to find a mate. And in these little pens and pools and parks that we keep them in, they just go round and round. Uh, you know, again, this is not just my opinion. This is the opinion of, of the trainers that I've spoken with. Right. Uh, Rick O'Barry, if you go to my site, you can hear an interview with him that I did a number of years ago. He says that you, you break a dolphin just like you break a horse, and you see the day when they change from being a wild creature to being something that's submissive. Now, this dolphin that I'm writing about, whom I call Ruby in the book, was unique. She was unique because at the time she was the only dolphin outside of the U.S. Navy that would go out on free release. She would go into the intercoastal waterway and ride alongside a tour boat and jump uh, 11 feet out of the water and take fish out of her trainer's hand and occasionally out of his mouth. She was that good. Wow. And I was really impressed with that. That was just the most remarkable skill I had ever seen because there wasn't very much room for error. You know, I think everyone listening around the world tonight uh, who has had access to a television set in the 60s remembers Flipper. How how yeah. close to reality, as you know it, Malcolm, was Flipper compared to the real dolphins? Flipper was to real dolphins the way Gilligan's Island was to the brothers Karamazov. Night and day. Yeah. Um, face it, Flipper was a television show. As a matter of fact, uh, well, Rick O'Barry trained the Dolphins for that series. He'd be the guy you'd want to talk to about that. He's had some amazing experiences with them. But uh, in these places, the Dolphins the dolphins tend to get rather neurotic, and they develop odd behavioral patterns, and that's what I thought was happening at first with this Dolphin when she began courting me. She was kept in a pen at sea level by herself, and I thought, okay, she's a, I, you know, she thinks of me as a surrogate male Dolphin. And uh, she wanted, um, obviously, the kind of thing she would be getting from a male dolphin. Right. And she had ways of letting me know that. What people don't understand is that these animals, uh, they're very forward. Uh, They're probably the most liberated female animals in the animal kingdom. Hmm. And that they they don't just have sex for reproductive reasons or because they're in asterisks, but for social reasons. In fact, Ken Norris, who was one of the most famous dolphin researchers in the world, the late Dr. Ken Norris, uh, so that dolphins have sex the way human beings shake hands. Wow. So this is very casual to them. Hmm. At the same time, it's uh, it's very beautiful. Uh, it can be very beautiful. It can be very fierce. Uh, the courtship can be um, very uh, energetic, shall we say, swimming right. at each other at top speed and bumping heads and uh, tooth, tooth rakes and stuff like this. And that's what I encountered at first from the dolphin. Frankly, one time I took a girlfriend down there who said she wanted to go swimming with the dolphins. Somehow the dolphin realized that this young woman who was a senior in high school was her competition and uh, got very uh, upset and uh, beat her up and and chased her out of the water right in front of me. And uh, I had to go in and pacify her. 
You and I have to take a commercial break. Please stand by. Sure we do. Malcolm okay. J. Brenner is our special guest exonation. He is the author of... Do you have your pencils and papers out? You do? Good. Wet Goddess, Recollections of a Dolphin Lover. His website, www.wetgoddess.net. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Exxon Broadcast Network and Talkstar. Don't go away. Welcome back, everyone. Malcolm J. Brenner is our special guest, and uh, Malcolm is the author of What Goddess? Recollections of a Dolphin Lover. His website is www.wetgoddess.net. And uh, we've been talking about uh, dolphins this hour, and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's sad to hear that dolphins are, you know, are, are unhappy in, in captivity, and I, I, I kind of, because... As you and I discussed in the first uh, in the first half of the show, they're they're totally different than other mammals that we are aware of. Yeah, they are. They're not. Uh, at least until very recently, they haven't been uh, domesticated creatures. Mm-hmm. Most of them were caught in the wild and then uh, trained to tolerate human beings. But now that uh, it's difficult to get permits to do that, the oceanariums are much more concentrated on breeding yeah. programs. Now uh, you were you, we were also discussing just before we went to the commercial break how you brought a a young lady down to swim with the dolphin and the dolphin actually knew, uh, was able to figure out somehow that yeah. she was the competition and yeah. she wasn't very nice to her. No, she wasn't. And uh, needless to say, that particular uh, romance or relationship with the young lady didn't get very far after that. Mm. Uh, she was uh, impressed, but not in the right way. Here's here's a question for you, and and I don't yeah. know if you're able to answer it or not. Is it possible for a human and a dolphin to have sex? Well, um, yes, it is. Uh, we're both mammals. Uh, we both have basically the same uh, equipment. Uh, in the case of a, a man and a female dolphin, 
the female dolphin has all the same mm-hmm. uh, anatomical equipment that a woman does, and uh, penetration and, and uh, intercourse is possible. I'm just wondering, uh, uh, I've, listening. I've heard it's also possible the other way around for I, a, a male dolphin and a woman, but I have no experience about that. You know, I, I'm just wondering if this is where the myth of the mermaid came from. It was because you had a bunch of sailors who'd been out to sea for so many months, and they needed to to uh, to satisfy their male urges, and they decided instead of swimming with the fish to, you know, have sex with the fish. And you know, maybe this this could be the origin of that entire myth. Uh, you know, you've got me there. I think you'd have to get a mythologist. But what I found is that in, in my case, when I got in the water with the dolphin, mm-hmm. she instigated this. She was the, she was the aggressor. I wanted to uh, basically figure out how to talk to her. Uh, I didn't go down to this oceanarium with the idea that I was going to get hooked up with a dolphin. Uh, this was on her mind, as it turned out. And I think she was just very interested in how, you know, how human beings work. After all, uh, dolphins in the wild are, are affected by a lot of the things that we do, but they don't get very much chance to actually find out what we're like unless they come into close contact mm-hmm. with us. And that either means something like the dolphins down at Monkey Maya in Australia, where they come into shore, and now I guess they get fed and interact with people on a daily basis, or something like this dolphin did, which was to basically get herself... Uh, enlisted into uh, into a human a human operation. So I can't, you, I can't say that I can't say also that all dolphins in captivity are unhappy because some of the dolphins that are in captivity are in captivity because they can't survive in mm-hmm. the wild. And uh, uh, Dr. Randall Wells up at the uh, Marine Laboratory, his uh, dolphin and sea turtle rehab uh, center up there is a very worthwhile organization, and uh, he takes uh, very good care of some dolphins that could not survive in the wild. After after doing the research that you have, uh, have you found anyone else who has been picked up by a dolphin? Well, uh, yeah. Um, and let me, let me stress that this was not just a, a physical experience. This was an emotional experience mm-hmm. and also to some degree uh, a psychic experience, I guess, S- although I hate to use that word. So it wasn't a one-night stand? It took the dolphin about six months to wear down my resistance. And then we spent another three months getting getting close enough to actually consummate our relationship. And after that, unfortunately, uh, there was a, a separation, which was my uh, my doing basically, and which led to some unforeseen uh, consequences. Hmm. So, what was it like being in love with a dolphin? I found myself uh, wondering a lot of the time if I was crazy, um, yeah. because uh, I really wanted in the worst kind of way to be normal, you know. And, Making uh, out with a dolphin is not what I consider to be normal. No, it isn't, and that was the thing. I found myself attracted to her in spite of my uh, uh, desires otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, uh, in a sense, an obsessive relationship. On the other hand... I couldn't figure out what was wrong with it, you know. It's not like I was hurting anything or anybody by by satisfying uh, this dolphin's needs. Now, at a certain point, I had decided that basically I was just a surrogate male dolphin. She was in this pen. The other mm-hmm. dolphins were up in a pool. 
she really didn't get to socialize much. Then, as the park closed down because attendance was falling off, she got moved up in this pool with five male dolphins. And I thought, okay, my problem's over. You know, she can have any kind of sexual experience she wants with them. Mm -hmm. But she continued to court me. In fact, her courtship became more focused, more gentle, and more erotic at that point. And she showed real imagination and insight into the kind of things that might uh, stimulate me, frankly. How does a dolphin arouse a human? And, and, I, and please, when you're answering this, remember it's a family show. I understand. Well, um, I spent a lot of time in the water with her because mm -hmm. that's where dolphins um, basically are doing their thing. Yeah. And uh, I didn't have any means, you know, I didn't have any hydrophone or anything like that to record her with. But first of all, the dolphin can just come up to you and, and rub you. She can either stimulate you or, mm -hmm. or stimulate herself or perhaps try to stimulate both of you at once. And in one case, when I tried to discourage her from doing that, she sort of uh, threw herself on me and pushed me down to the bottom of the pool, which was 12 feet deep. And when I came back up, uh, I tried to get out of the water, and she prevented me from getting out, and I practically uh, practically had to push her off me and, and wade ashore. But after that, the relationship changed dynamically, and she became, as I say, much more insightful as to what, what, would, uh, what would arouse me. One thing that she did that I can tell you uh, from my readings other dolphins have done. Their uh, snout has a lot of very small, sharp, conical teeth in it. And she would open her mouth and very gently put it around my leg and run her teeth up and down my leg or up and down my arm in the water. And the sensation was unbelievably erotic. Uh, it was, was un, un, unhuman. So she knew exactly what to do and how to do it in order to arouse you. She was, um, yeah, she was pretty good at reading that kind of thing. And that's why I say I think, that's one of the reasons why I say I think there was a degree of telepathy going on. Because it often seemed like the dolphin mm -hmm. could get inside my head and figure out what, what was going on in there. It was eerie. And I'm not the only person to report this. I have, a, I have on my shelves a book called Thinking Dolphins, Talking Whales by a New Zealander named Frank Robson. Uh, the late Frank Robson, he trained uh, dolphins for marine land in Napier, uh, New Zealand, and he says he trained them all by telepathy. Mm. Uh, Rick O'Barry, who was in The Cove, the Oscar-winning documentary last year, uh, on my website, you can hear him tell me about how he trained the dolphins for flipper by telepathy. Uh, there are some people who can do this, and there are some people who have to plod through all the things of, you know, operant conditioning, right. you know, blow the whistle, give the dolphin a fish. Uh, O'Barry told me, and I found this to be true, it takes as long as it takes you to get the idea across to the dolphin of what you want the dolphin to do. And as soon as the dolphin gets the idea, it'll do it, you know, if it's, if it's complying with mm -hmm. you, if it, wants to, if it wants to help you out. How long did this affair last with the dolphin? It lasted nine months, and then there was fallout from it for several years afterwards in the terms of um, the effect it had on me. Mm -hmm. And and how many times did you make love to the dolphin? I uh, just got one shot at it. Was that her idea or yours? Uh, it was something we both worked up to over, over a period of about three months. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was, um, 
very cooperative and very imaginative because we had to experiment. This wasn't something either of us had any right. experience with. And, uh, you know, she was just uh, as much a part of it as I was. And when we were actually making love, the experience for me was that she wasn't a dolphin and I wasn't a human being. We were just two lovers. There was no, there was no difference between us, really, at the most basic level. In other words, it was kind of yeah. a uh, transcendental experience. Have you ever had such feelings again for another dolphin? Well, no. I haven't gotten around other dolphins a lot for a couple of reasons. Uh, for one thing, I don't go to uh, oceanariums. I don't like to see the dolphins in captivity. Mm -hmm. And uh, for various reasons, I got rather turned off to um, a lot of the science that was being done with dolphins at that time. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have the mathematical background or the temperament to be yeah. uh, a scientist. What would you like the world to know about dolphins? You know, we, we know what, we're, what we watch on television. We know what we read in the newspapers. Uh, as, as an insider and as someone who's had a very unique connection with a dolphin, what would you like the world to know that, about the true dolphins, about dolphins? I'd like, to, I'd like the world to know that if we stopped killing these creatures and enslaving them and polluting their environment to the extent that they uh, are going extinct in some cases, we might find that there was another intelligence out there that could give us an external view of ourselves, could, could, could uh, perhaps help us grow and develop as a species. I mean, dolphins have existed in their present form for about 30 million years. We've been around in our present form for what, about 150,000 years? Yeah, about that. Yeah, so they have like, what is it, 2,000 times longer survival on this planet than we do? We should take a lesson from that. These creatures, you know, could have fantastic knowledge about their world mm -hmm. that we could, that, that they would, I'm convinced they would be willing to share with us if it was to their advantage, and I can't see how it could not be to their advantage to do so. On the other hand, you know, maybe maybe this is all just a fantasy I have, and maybe what they are is, is more primitive, and I was just uh, seduced by a set of circumstances. I really don't know, but I suspect that the former is the case. What is the feedback that you're getting from readers, and why, why, not, why not write this book as a memoir? Um, I didn't write it as a memoir for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, uh, some of the principal characters are still alive, mm -hmm. and uh, I didn't want to offend anybody or get into any lawsuits, because most of the people uh, that are uh, characters in the book uh, didn't know about how... I, they, they knew I was you know, close friends with the dolphin, but they didn't know uh, how, intimate how, you far were. That, how far that went. Excuse me? How intimate you were with the dolphin. Yeah, exactly, right. Another reason was uh, that, um, having been a reporter, I really don't trust my memory after all this time. Uh, we're going back to the early 1970s, although I, uh, I think I remember things uh, correctly. It, was, it seemed more legitimate to uh, just call this novel. And finally, because I just wanted... My, my problem has always been getting up distance on these experiences to be able to write about them in a mm -hmm. meaningful way. And I worked for years on this book before I could do that. And part of the process of doing that was telling myself, okay, 
this is going to be a novel, uh, which made it somewhat easier for me to write about the experiences objectively. It's like this. Um, how many people read anti-slavery pamphlets from the 1850s? Not Nobody very reads. many, yeah. No. How many people read uh, a Huckleberry Finn? A best, lot. Best argument against slavery yeah. ever made. Yeah, exactly. Every, everybody in America reads that book, yeah. okay? It is no less uh, a, a valid piece of, a valid, a valid document mm -hmm. because it's a piece of fiction. I didn't make anything up that's in that goddess. Right. I tried to tell the truth as as much as I could within the confines of a fictional narrative. And only my readers can judge whether I've done that well or not, because I'm frankly so close to the damn thing, I have no no insight on it at all. <laughs> Malcolm, stand by. You and I have to take our final break for this hour. Okay. Great talking to you. Please uh, stand by. Malcolm sure, J. Brenner is our guest of this hour, Exonation. He is the author of a uh, of a very interesting book. It's a, it's a novel, but it's much more than that. The name of his book is Wet Goddess, Recollections of a Dolphin Lover. His website is www.wetgoddess.net, and that's W-E-T-G-O-D-D-E-S-S dot net. That's www.wetgoddess.net. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with our wrap-up for tonight, Wednesday, April the 7th in the year 2010. My name's Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Talkstar Radio Network and Exxon Broadcast. Don't go away. Welcome back, everyone. I'd like to take this opportunity of thanking all our guests tonight. Dr. Harold Katz was with me in hour number one. Warren Bobrow and I talked about strange happenings in New Jersey in hour number two. Gary Robertson and I discussed Helena Messenger. And my guest this hour is Malcolm J. Brenner. And he is the author of Exxon Nation, Wet Goddess, Recollections of a Dolphin Lover. And his website is www.wetgoddess.com. Dot net. That's www.wetgoddess.net. Uh, first of all, Malcolm, great having you with us. Where can our listeners get a copy of your book? Um, at the moment, the best thing for them to do would be to go to my website, and uh, from there there's a link to my email. Uh, send me a request. I'm having the book reprinted because of some typos I found in the first printing. 
and uh, I expect to have some copies available soon. When they are, they'll be available from my website, which you mentioned, and also from eBay excellent. and from Amazon.com. That's excellent. Um, tell me, we've got we've got about two minutes left. What would you like to tell the world about dolphins, and how would you like to wrap this very interesting segment up? Well, you know, another thing that I do is um, I search uh, UFO sightings, and in some cases I've done some analysis of UFO photos. Mm-hmm. We spend so much time scratching our heads, and there's so much you know, foment in the uh, paranormal community about uh, the status of UFOs, what they are. And in the scientific community, there's interest about SETI, the Scientific yeah. Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. What about the dolphins? These yeah. things are sitting here. I've had a scientist who worked with them tell me that if the Navy would release what it would know about what it knows about dolphins, it would revolutionize psychology. Really? So, and, so, yeah. so, are, so is the, so, is it possible that there may be not only a conspiracy to cover up the UFO uh, phenomenon, but now a conspiracy to cover up the knowledge that the U.S. Navy has acquired and is suppressing on the psychology of dolphins? I wouldn't say I don't know if there's a conspiracy or not. I haven't investigated that, but certainly SeaWorld is a very, uh, and the other uh, marine aquariums are very mm-hmm. powerful forces uh, for keeping the dolphins safe from getting any kind of uh, quasi-human status. Uh, I mean, they would be out of business if dolphins could vote. Now that is an interesting statement. You and I have run out of time for tonight, but I guarantee you, you are going to be back on the show. We'd love to have you back on, and I'd love to talk to you about the UFO connection, as well as the possibility, I'll use that word, possibility of the suppression of information that the government through the Navy has on dolphins. Well, I hope to be able to post something uh, on on my site to that in the near future. One thing I can tell you is that the Navy uh, uh, killed... um, flocks of killer whales up in Iceland in the 1950s requested the Iceland government. You and I will talk more about this. Malcolm, thank you very much for joining us. A great pleasure having you on the show. Continued success, and we look forward to the next time you're with us here in the Exxon. Okay, Rob. Thank you, and good night. Good night. Malcolm J. Brenner has been our guest. His website is www.wetgoddess.net. That's www.wetgoddess.net. I'll be back uh, tomorrow night, Exo Nation, at 10 o'clock as once again we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exo. So until tomorrow night, love your children, give them a hug, give them a kiss, tell them they are loved, take care of each other, and always keep your eyes to the sky and your heart to the light. Good night, everyone. Closing time, you don't have to go home, but you can.